Good morning, everybody, and welcome to the True Potential Do More With Your Money podcast. It's episode uh, 30. It's Friday the 14th of August, and I'm delighted to welcome to, to today's podcast Mark Henderson, David Harrison, and Steve Hutton. I think, Steve, this is your second appearance on the podcast now. Yeah, nice to be invited back. Thank you. Yeah, you must have done something great the last time. I, I wasn't on that one. It was moderated by Jamie, I think, but... Uh, I did. I did listen, Stephen. You, you, you were well behaved. So welcome back, and obviously, thank you. Uh, welcome, welcome back, David and Mark, um, as well. Um, today's topic, uh, ladies and gentlemen, is um, the psychology of successful investors. This has been a a topic that we we've had a few requests from 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 our clients and from our audience. Just just almost asking for kind of. You know some of our opinion, asking for some of our experience about, um, you know, how long should we be investing for, what should we be looking for, um, and any sort of top tips as well, which which I think come not just from um, being an investor, but also being a, a business person work, working in business uh, as well. So hopefully between me, Steve, David, and Mark, we'll be able to help give, share some pearls of wisdom, or we'll certainly share some of our experiences in any case. But um, I think before before we do that, I think if we just maybe kick things off in, in normal podcast fashion, Mark, and I, I, I know you'll see represent the investment management team as, as well today. So I don't know if you could maybe give us five minutes or so, Mark, on, on this week's markets. Sure, Dan. Uh, split it into two parts, really, to talking about the markets and then the news that's that's driven the markets. So if we look at, at what's happened so far this week, it, I think it's been a case of steady as she goes across equity markets anyway, where we've we had a relatively quiet start to the week with the, the markets up, um, gathered pace midweek, and then tailed off a little bit yesterday. So um, despite that, that tailing back yesterday, FTSE's up 1.4% on the week, which is good for the portfolios. S&P is close to pre-COVID highs. And up 1.13 in US dollar terms. Um, healthcare and tech came back uh, towards the end of the week after a, a brief sell-off um, earlier on. And we've seen a strong Europe as well, with both the German and the French markets, again in local terms, up over 3%. Um, to counterbalance that, you've had uh, gold, which is which sold off and then came back. And you've had moves in the treasury markets as well, which are... are relative to what's happened in equities. Um, what it means for the portfolios, Dan, is that on the month uh, so far, we're showing up about 3% over a one month period. And over a year, the portfolios, all of them are up um, around about 1%, which reflects a good recovery from the COVID uh, times that we had, particularly in March. Um, why? Well, what's been going on? Um, the, the news has been dominated by the US, which I'll leave to last a little bit. In the UK, we've had unemployment steady at 3.9%. But the big news from the UK was the headlines that everybody expected, which is the, the doom and gloom saying we've fallen into recession because of a second quarter of, of negative growth. Now, what anybody expected other than that, I really don't know. But when we look at the, the moving out of quarter two, we've seen June figures showing um, growth in GDP of 8.7%. And it's expected that quarter three is going to be the biggest increase in GDP in history for the UK. So that's, that's there. There's a lot of confidence coming out of Europe as well, which we're seeing through the portfolios, uh, through the, the prices increasing. 
But the main news, not, not untypically, is coming across from the US and a little bit linked into what's happening in China. So if I start with China, um, industrial production year on year figures came up, um, out, sorry, up 4.8% year, year on year, showing further emergence from the, uh, the, the downs of February and March through COVID. But the US dominates, as, as I mentioned earlier, We've had Trump sign four executive orders, um, most of them relating to COVID, uh, payroll tax deferral, eviction protection for tenants, that might be more for himself than anybody else, student loan relief, but also expanded unemployment benefits. But the key here is that he's, he's reduced the payments um, to $400 a week from $600 a week. Now, I don't know the cost of living in the US, so I'm not going to make any comment on, on that. But what was key is he felt that $600 a week was a disincentive to returning to work. And that, that I think, is, is very important. Um, what else we've seen uh, across there is the jobless data, um, openings, new jobs up 518,000 to uh, 5.9 million in June, which was good week on week. That's driven by consumption and demand, the opening up of America. And that coincides with New York, California and Texas reporting reduced hospitalizations because of COVID. Um, inflation in the States is higher than expected. It came in at, at, at 0.6%. But the main things that have happened this week are pretty much political. We've had Joe Biden choose his running mate and Kamala Harris the Californian senator, and Trump's already had a go at her. Little bits of sniping uh, happened overnight. Um, I was looking at the election budgets as well, which I think is, 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 is really interesting. And I thought that the Republicans would be able to raise more money than the Democrats. But it looks on the latest figures that they're both close to 300 million war chest for the election campaign, which shows the importance of media to, to the, um, both parties and how Trump's handled himself with Twitter might really be his undoing. Um, Biden's leading in the polls, which again is interesting. So we've, we've got all of this going on, but the, the US unemployment figures are showing um, that it's heading in the right trend as, as things start to reopen. So that just leaves us with the perennial spat between the uh, US U.S. administration and China and the, you know, the strained relationship seems to be focusing on WeChat and TikTok at the minute. Um, but also there's a bit of tit for tat. Um, China put sanctions on 11 U.S. officials, a reprisal for the U.S. doing the same with exactly the same number of officials. But importantly, at this moment, none of those um, uh, exclusions of U.S. officials were members of the Trump administration. So that could heat up and it's a one to keep our eye on. And uh, we'll see how that motors as we get towards election time in November in the States. Thanks, Mark. You, you missed a great joke there. Instead of saying tit for tat, you said, could have said tick for tock. Oh, I know, Dan. I know. I'd rehearsed it as well. But, I, I you know, <laughs> I missed the cue. But knowing what a, what a very good um, chairman you are for this, you picked that one up. Don't and, worry if... If a joke's missed, I'll, I'll circle back around. And the, the, the talking about circling back around, the other thing you missed as well, which, which Trump's been up to this week, is he's pushing the regulator to yeah. to uh, get stronger showers. Yes. Because 
Yes, it gets, because it his hair is very important to him. His hair has to be perfect. And current yeah. shower regulations, obviously, I think he wants enough pressure coming out of every single nozzle as comes out. That's of his right. Hair. So it's there. Yeah. The thing yeah. is, that I actually sent that around the IM team yesterday asking for comments on it. Um, <laughs> and I only got one back from the chairman of the investment committee. The others have failed uh, in an attempt for humour, which I could have included in this. But the other thing I think we need to know, Dan, is just how many TikTok videos you have on your phone of yourself. I, have, I think if we can I, I show some of them later. I can confirm I do not have TikTok on my phone. I can confirm I've never even... I've watched one TikTok video before, which was uh, sent by one of my nieces, um, and it's 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 a whole new world of horror. It, 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 I, I officially feel old now when I'm saying it. I don't understand it, and I don't want to understand it either. I think it's a, I, I, I waste enough time on other applications on my phone without adding a new one. So, no no TikTok, no TikTok here. Um, uh, Talking about um, uh, fashionable things, with Steve looking very uh, dapper there with your blue headphones there today as well. It's uh, you know part of the AirPod Pro club with uh, with David and Mark. I've got my AirPod Pros, but I forgot to set them up today as well, so I, I can't be part of the club. I'm, I'm afraid. So, um, so Steve, um, uh, good morning again. Um, I, I attended a, a, a really interesting webinar which was hosted by you. Um, a, a couple of months ago now, so, so no pressure really, Steve, but I, I thought it could be a good chance for you to maybe kick off and, and, and talk about some of the experiences, because obviously, you know, if you're looking in the media at the moment, this is, you know, turbulent market, you know, terrible times coming up, as, as Mark said, you know, there's a recession, and all of a sudden you you, you see people shocked, and you feel like, well, of course there's going to be a recession, it's been widely predicted, Um but, you know, then again, in the media, it, it's it's doom and gloom. But I suppose that the message which you were given at the time, Steve, was it's not the first time we've had turbulent markets. Um, it very likely won't be the last. But I don't know if you just maybe want to talk about some, some, some different events and what happens, maybe the length of them and, and, and the recovery that's always kind of followed afterward. Well, good morning, everybody. Morning, Dan. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's not our first rodeo, if you like. Um, when you talk about recessions, it's refreshing to hear Mark actually take some of the positives out of the news because you don't, you just do not get that in mainstream media anymore. You don't get it on the BBC, you don't get it in the news rags. Don't forget, bad news sells newspapers. But I think the point we've got to make is that what you're hearing in the press is bad news and it's all around the economic bad news that we all knew was coming. You don't shut an economy down and then expect it not to you know, have issues going forward. <clears throat> and I think the point we've got to say is the stock market um, is intimately connected to GDP, but it reacts ahead of it. So the stock market wasn't surprised by the news this week. And as Mark said, it's up on the week. <clears throat> Excuse me. It's up on the week, um, yet the, the news has been as bad as could be expected. So if you look at all the major um, years in the past that have, have seen uh, economic shocks, if you like, an economic re regression. You can think back as far as 75. I, I can remember 75, but I wasn't working then just because I had to make that point quite quickly. But I can remember 80, 82, 91 and 2008. Um, and I was working in a few of those, by the way. So I'll, uh, I'll say what we've learned. I think it is very important to learn your lessons from the past. But 
stock investing is very easy in hindsight, isn't it? You always get after these crises, the occasional fund manager that says, oh, you know, I, I positioned my portfolio just in the right position ready for this crisis. We saw them all after the banking crisis of 2008 saying they were ready for it. Yeah, I'm sure they were. Well, I wonder how many were actually ready for a global pandemic, and I suspect it would be absolutely not. Uh, but there'll be a few saying they were, so that'll be interesting. But if you, the interesting point to make about when the market uh, and the economies have gone back in those years, those are periods when the stock market, judged by the S&P, has gone forward. So you've got to look at the correlation between stock market performance and economic news. And the correlation is absolutely minuscule. It's 0.04%. So they're not correlated. They're intimately aligned, but they don't, um, sorry, stock markets do not predict GDP. So the thing that we're looking at now, and I think um, learning from lessons of the past is to say, right, how do people behave during these crises and how do they behave going forward? And I think it's quite clear that when we see a shock like we saw in March uh, with the closing down of economies, people get very frightened. Now, I, I'm a seasoned investor. I've invested since, you know, since the 80s. Uh, I've worked in the investment management industry since then as well, as we all have. Um, but even I, was, you get nervous. You're only human. You get nervous when you see such a catastrophic change in the market. But you've got to learn from things in the past. And it was all about keeping your nerve. Now, I know people will say, well, it's very easy for you to sit there and say, keep your nerve. It, it wasn't that easy. You know, it, it was the right thing to do based on our experience. But it's certainly inside. I was going through trauma as well. You still get very nervous because when the stock market cracks, it, it's always with a different reason. It was a banking crisis in 2008. It's a global pandemic now. We just had a 10-year bull market. It was always going to come to an end. Uh, uh, you know, and the catalyst this time was what's happened in the global health crisis. But I think now what we've got to look at, we've seen a V-shaped recovery, as Mark said. Uh, markets are almost back to where, within you know, half a percent of where they were before the crack. And I think we've got to look at how do we help people now going forward? Forget looking back. We've, that's happened. Learn from the history and say, right, going forward, we've got to help people with, with almost like post-traumatic stress. They get so worried by the crisis when when they resume and come out of it, they start to get frightened again and saying, I don't want to live through that again. And I think everything we do in diversification, and we'll talk about that a lot more today, because it is absolutely crucial we keep making this message. You've got to set your strategy and don't be blown off course by shocks that happen because they will always happen. But I think going forward now, we've got to say to people, no, you've got to stick with your strategy because, you know, for example, going into cash is not a risk free asset. Your returns on cash, cash are negative, so you've got inflation to deal with. You will lose money. You will not achieve your goals if you radically overhaul your strategy now just because of a shock that we've had in recent months. So I'm sure we'll talk about it a lot more, but you've got to look at the psychology of investing and say, right, we're in a different phase now. We have the same message, but we've got to enhance it and make sure people understand what we're saying when we're diversifying. All the indices you hear about on the news are equity indices, by the way, everybody. And the portfolios at True Potential are not overly biased to equities. There's a whole diversification of asset class, of geography, of fund manager, of business types, of types of investing, passive and active. You're getting a true diversification across the whole globe and the whole uh, facet of investment styles. So um, a long answer to your question, Dan, and I'm sure we'll go back to a few more of those points as we go forward. But it's, it's how we help people with their psychology now going forward is, is what I'm interested in. Thanks, Steve. Uh, uh, David, just to move across to you, really, I think that the last time we had a, um, a, a market kind of turbulence or volatility was um, 2007, 2008, which was when we were setting true potential up. 
Um, so really, as a as, as founder of True Potential, what 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 was your kind of thoughts from that learning? What you know, what what was your approach to de- dealing with that environment? I think Steve touched on it there. It would be very easy um, to begin to rewrite history, Daniel, which I see a lot of, and you see a lot of so-called fund managers um, who are always in cash or always in guilt and always out of the market. And those same people will not be in the market even now. They'll have just sat um, and not made investments. We we had no immaculate timing. It couldn't have it didn't work out very well, actually, because we really struggled to get any form of credit, um, which is essential if you've got a good business and you want to move fast and you want to, to get a competitive edge and maintain that edge. Um, it takes money, um, and in business, you know, really two forms of money: the equity you put into a business um, and the credit that you can get, um, normally provided by a bank. Or whatever. Otherwise, you're giving equity away, you're giving shares away, and you're getting people invested with you um, who are not working in the business. You know, I'll touch on that in investment in a minute because it's that's quite important when you're picking stocks and you're picking winners. It's how much skin in the game do those people have. Um, so um, we we looked as though we benefited from it, um, but it w- was nothing to do with that. We the, the timing had nothing to do with the crash. It had everything to do with we were forming a business and along came the crash. OK, um, I, I know there would have been one or two or three maybe individuals in the world that might have predicted this pandemic. But they, as we can see, and I'm sure Stephen Mott got the figures, they've sat in cash for so long waiting for this to happen. That anybody investing in all of it will still not be ahead because you're just sitting in cash. And, and and this is for, for, for our audience, the, the the real secrets, if there are any secrets about investment, bear in mind investment means at the end of the day, you're going to be putting money in to something that other people are running. Okay, so most people think, well, I'm safer in property than in stocks and shares. Well, I'm safer in the bank than in stocks and shares. So we can just deal with that latter one first, the bank. Let me tell you what banks do, nothing, okay? That's it. They have a license to lend money. So this city government has given them money and now they're lending that money and they're making a margin on that money. And it's money for you as a businessman, Daniel, and for others it's sometimes can and can't get, but they're taking a margin on it. And whenever they're saying, and it's interest-free, you're joking. Of course it's not. There'll be an arrangement fee, which is probably worth one or two percent of the money being lent. There'll be other things in there because they're getting money for doing nothing. They're getting money because they're a bank. And of course, in Britain, they're perceived as being safe, despite their track record of not being safe. Cash is not a safe option. Cash is a great way to lose money. We formed true potential uh, uh, the, the Puffin School in uh, OU, I was taught in the Open University the other day. We've got next to now, I think a million people have gone through those things to get them to understand money, get them to understand finance. And one of the basic things just it's just interest and, um, you know, the way that compound interest works for you. But people don't really understand it. 
because it's not touched on at school or whatever. But if you're looking at a bank today and you put £100 in the bank because it's safe, you're ignoring the real, the real challenges for your money, which is its buying power. Yeah, you've got £100 in a year's time, plus 0.01%. Let's just call it 1% or whatever. Or let's go for the bank's special offer to suck you in. Let's say 2%. Right? So at the end of that first year, you've got £102. Uh, with inflation, at say 3%. Once again, for my maths, you've just lost a pound. You go to buy something for £102, you know, fine, it costs you £103. You can't afford it. The longer you save in there, the less money you've got. So it's okay for short term, it's fine. But for long term, there is no better way to lose money in a steady drip by drip basis than putting it in the bank and leaving it locked up. You know, um, I know Mark used to work in for, for a bank um, and, you know, he's slowly recovering from that. Uh, by uh, giving us giving us the actual news today is, is the, as Mark was talking, I was just looking on my the Times or thing, and it's totally opposite of what Mark's saying. So what Mark's just done is just told a load of lies. The corner of the Times, there's pandemics, there's this, there's this, the, the every uh, there are ten articles there. I'm not bother reading them out. Seven of which would have you go out and kill yourself, mm. right? Uh, and it's because those people writing as well, I'm going to go with everybody today, I'm on, I'm on a roll. Bankers, uh, uh, or, um, for a good reason for me personally, I'm not going to it. But <laughs> if I could have got a hold of a certain banker in the last week or two, I would now be locked up. Mm -hmm. The world would be a better place, apart from me being locked up. But we'd have one less idiot that we would have to deal with who is in control and actually enjoying his little moment of power, you know. Um, but we, we allow that to happen. That will change. I have no doubt about it, right? With blockchain, with companies like True Potential, with others getting into banking and, and stuff like this to cut through that uh, thing. Because the people running banks have never taken a risk in their lives, not with their money, which is the important thing about investing. Mm. They do not take a risk with their money Right. And even when they do, they bring a, a country down to its knees and we put our money in to save their necks. But they haven't lost their houses. They haven't lost all that. So I would be very wary of anything to do with banks at all. Um, media, you know, that's fine. They, they, they are fiction writers. You know, they, they're looking for the headline to capture somebody's attention who's not serious. For investment, for, for, for our listeners now, or watches, really, it's quite simple. Property is something you are, you know, that's your next best choice, or, or next more popular choice for, for people who say, I, I invest. I think it's a great investment buying your own house. Uh, it makes a huge difference. Having skin in the game, I think Maggie Thatcher showed that by allowing people to buy their own council house and things like this, and Steve's still living in that same council house. Um, <laughs> Um, it, what it did was it cleaned Steve's house up outside. You know, he got rid of that. That uh, I think one time he just had a pony to keep the uh, uh, like with like big hairy hoofs on it to keep his uh, garden down. Then he then he got for some strange reason a car on bricks that didn't keep the it down. 
But now once he bought his house, he cleaned it up and the whole of his street changed because people had skin in the game. People have pride in what they own and they have that extra incentive to say, this is value. I'm not saying, I know when, when I was a kid, my parents moved into a council house, they moved up into a council house, uh, up market. Uh, and loved the house absolutely in that street. Everybody was, they actually, but we're just lucky, you know, th those were different days. Now, you know, it, it can be a different social, Sarah, they change the words as well, social housing. Um, as if they say people who have their own house aren't social, you know, in a private estate, that's that's social housing. In some estates, social housing means, you you, you know, you can't get home. You'll go out for shopping. You come back a lot lighter than when you went out. It's just not, not very social at all. Anyway, I'm sweeping statement. Property, it can be dangerous. But by the way, the difference between property and stocks and shares, it's very, very easy. Stocks and shares are liquid. You can look, as Mark was saying, today we know what the price is. Today we get the same amount of money. So you sell it. There's a lot of buyers in the market. So it's liquid. Yes. It can go down and yes, it can go up and sometimes it goes down for a long time. So does property. So you shouldn't mix your personal. I was very lucky, my generation very lucky. I bought my first house, at, I think it was about £12,000. I sold it about a year and a half later for £38,000. Yes, the house I'm sitting in now is the only house I've ever moved into myself and my wife where, where we had a full house, a whole house. Every other one has been a work in progress, you know. Um, so we, we've always done up, as they say, a, a doer upper, they call them in America, uh, which is another place don't buy property in America, <laughs> unless you can get 6% growth in the first year to pay for the agent's fees and the escrow fees and the selling agent's fees as well. So, you know, don't, and, you know, you're relying on the, uh, the dollar going the right way to make any form of profit. Uh, but don't mix up your personal experience with the fact that now you've been you own your own house. What you should be is a landlord. Okay, only go into that if you're going to have thirty or forty or fifty houses and become a proper landlord with a proper company to look after them. Mm -hmm. um, you know, because I mean, you know, students are great; they're lovely. You know, it's, it's uh, go away to university. Many of them that's the first time away from home. Uh, and uh, they do all the things they want to do in their own home, in somebody else's home, and then you have to go in and clean up after them. But of course, not all students are like that. Just about every single one, oh. but not everyone. Right? So anybody who's got children who've sent away, and I'm not talking about your children, right? I'm talking about somebody else's children who go and wreck the place. So don't be upset by my sweeping comments about the bloody students. Students tend to live there. The, 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 the new trend anyway for student properties is these luxury apartment complexes, um, which are yeah. something else. So it's it's moving away from the old, you know, in, in Newcastle is a place called Heaton, which tends to be where the students are, it's, you know, terrace, yeah. terrace flats, three bedroom. It's moving away from that now to city centre locations where you have your own apartment with your own ensuite bathroom, you've got a gym. There you've got communal, they get the cinema or a little cafe and things like that. So it's, it's, yeah, like why not? The difference. And I think they maybe the day, certainly in Newcastle, the days have been a, a student landlord, I think, are numbered actually. I think, unless, unless you own one of these big complexes, which tend to be owned by even huge 
housing groups like your Addiscombe, so uh, or actually by the universities themselves as well. Um, but I think D- David, you, you you mentioned two good points there, which 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 I'll chuck across to Steve and Mark in a moment. But one is the concept of skin in the game, um, and the other one is um, I think you were talking about like outsourcing and getting say when you were talking about having different properties and getting a company in to run it, so effectively outsourcing. And Mark, I know, say, our investors are true potential. Um, they effectively outsource to you into the investment management team on a, on a discretionary basis. Um, obviously, we, we think that's a, a great idea. Um, but could you just remind our, our listeners why outsourcing something like their investments is, is a good idea? Yeah, it's scalability, Dan, and it's diversification. It's hitting on the points that Steve said earlier. Because whilst we've got a very good and experienced investment team in Newcastle, we don't have people sitting in all of the key locations around the world. You know, we don't have people day-to-day working in China or in the States or in the you know other parts of Europe. Um, so what we do is we the we we control the investments within the portfolios, but they're made up of all true potential funds, and those funds are managed by different um, investment experts across the world: Goldman Sachs, Allianz, SEI, Close Brothers, UBS, for just to name four there. You know, and they do have people sitting around the world knowing what's happening on the ground in world markets, and that's absolutely essential to make decisions which will affect the returns in the portfolios. So for a client who invests with us, they give us discretionary powers to to buy and sell within the portfolios. But we also do that further afield. And it gets to the point of diversification where you have these major institutions who are making day-to-day decisions over client money that feeds through into the portfolios and gives a diversified return. So we know We've got people in China who are indirectly working for our clients, people in the States and, and all of the other major financial centers. And they're not just equity market experts as well. The bond markets have played a great part in, in protecting client investment over the last, well, particularly this year, as we've seen in, in the, the COVID world. But also you have to have currency decisions which are being made and that's a very very precise and very expertise area um, and again the big institutions that we we bring into play in the portfolios have got the experts in the field who can make those decisions yeah i i, I think experts the right word as well mark or, or, or certainly it leans towards another one of true potentials beliefs which is specialism as as, as well and this is something we'd always urge our, our investors to look at, which is or, or to consider. You know, every single day, I know that if anybody, say, watches Jeff Casson's work from home video, you, you see that the hour which Jeff's up and the reading he's doing, and Jeff spends his life, and I know you do, Mark, and the rest of the IM team, only dealing with one thing, which is true potential portfolios. Um, that's your specialism, which means hopefully you get very good at it. Um, but in turn, as you say, you're then dealing with experts around the world whose only job might be working on the currency desk in China, as you're saying there, or you know, um, we're on the commodities desk across in, in 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 the United States. And that's that 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 that's something which I think is is behind any sort of successful investment is is learning when to kind of almost 
learning when to be in control, but also learning when to let go and let the specialists come in. Um, you know, I've got I've got friends who often will speak to me about what we what I do for a living. Um, you know, and you mentioned a bit about investing, and then oh, I do a bit of I do a bit of trading myself. I've you know I do a bit of FX trading or you know a, a little bit of this. And you know, what do you think about that? And I just I just say I think you must be mad. I think it's a great way to lose a load of money quick. Um, unless you're waking up and just currency trading all day and concentrating on it, but people treat it as a hobby. And every everybody's got a story of well, I made twenty percent yesterday. Um, you know, so you know, but everyone else has got a, the, the story which isn't told, which is I lost thirty percent the day before that. Um, yeah, it's very similar when you talk to somebody who's who who knows the form of the horses, Dan. You know, they, yeah. they tell you about the days when they're up, but not the days when they're down. And currency markets are a real, you know, something that you, you have to have information and be right. able to act very, very quickly. And, you know, yeah. what we are talking about before, about the recovery um, in, in global markets, you know, typically when we've seen a, a slump um, similar to, to, to February and March, it's taking something like 1,500 days to recover. This one from the S&P peak in February to almost the peak now is 121 days. Mm. And that's the difference now. Trading is happening so quickly that I'll use the word with respect, amateurs can get burned extremely yeah. quickly. And once that's happened, there's no way back. And I, I, I think there have been, Mark, I think there's been a lot of burning going on because... Um... You, you know, you, you, you look at the amount of people who've been investing over this, where they've obviously been saving money by not going to work or, or, or not traveling or, or, or what have you. And it looks like they've been investing in stock and, and, and things when you look at some of the self-directed platforms in the UK and the US. And you then comp you overlay the day-to-day the -day volatility, because that's one of the things which, you know, you and Jeff and the rest of the team talk about is this extreme volatility. And as, as you've even mentioned this week, Mark, you know, the first two days of the week, market's up, you know, footy was one and a half, then 2%. And then, yeah. you know, today, I don't know what it, it is. Yesterday, it was about one and a half percent down. You just get that time in the day wrong or something, you just wiped out. Um, and it's just, down and one of the key measures of volatility is the VIX index, which at the peak um, in March was, was at 82. It's come back down now to 22, which shows that the markets have quietened down a little bit. But you're still getting that, well, I was going to say intraday, it's more like intra-week type of volatility, but it's not as high as it was in March in particular, you know, which, which is a period of time that Steve touched on that, that really I wouldn't like to go through again. Because whilst we, you're calm on the outside, you're looking at this and you're thinking, right, what's, what is going to trigger a, a, a move up or down? And yeah. um, it, it moved so quickly that anybody who was trying to time the market and, you know, as David was saying before about cash, come out of the market, I'll sit in cash and I'll be OK and I'll go back when the time's right. I'm sorry, but that time's gone. You've missed this now because that 121 day period to recover peak to almost peak has, has, is in the past behind us. Yeah. Now, the portfolios, you, the decisions that we make, Dan, we said right in the start when we launched them, it would be forward looking. And that's how we position the portfolios and how we get our managers to think and the questions that we ask them 
um, which will be leading into some decisions being made next week as to as to uh, the the makeup of the portfolios. Now it could well be that we look at this and think that position nicely the changes that have been made by the managers beneath the surface that, that, that the investors don't necessarily see until we bring them out are happening each and every day at portfolio level. If we're happy with the positioning, we'll leave them as they are to run. If we think there's some changes, um, I'm not anticipating this, but let's say we decide that time's right to increase as we have been the further waiting into Europe or European banks or whatever. We look at how we can get that and position the portfolios for where we see things happening in the future rather than looking back and saying, oh, well, you know, that's, we, we'll react to something there. We want them positioned nicely for, for the forward-looking side of things. I think, Daniel, that, that there's a huge difference. In just, you, you've been touching on it there. There's a huge difference between gambling and investing. Mm -hmm. I think this, this is the point. that I think all of us can go to the races, as, as, as Mark said, you know, um, uh, and you, you've, you've had a day when everything you've, you've done has come off. Exactly the same can happen in, in these trading markets. You've had a day, but that's just because you're basically agreeing with somebody who's just doing it just the same time as you. What you can't do, if people want, it's just worth looking at. If you if you get one of these little apps and look at stocks and shares you know, on your phone and mine pops up every morning. I don't know why, why it does, because it, it's not that relevant. It either chases up or depresses is if I, if I was to think too much about it. But you just look at that and often you'll see the, the, the actual index, it looks to be down, but it's actually up because what you haven't noticed is right at the very start of the graph is a very steep drop or a very steep increase followed by the bit you can see. So in the nanoseconds, the stock market opening, you know, more or less 80% of all of the movement in that market in that day has taken place before you have the chance to even touch your keyboard. Yeah. Even if you touch your keyboard, it's not going to beat that thing. They're positioned next to a stock exchange with a direct cable into it. You, can, you can't beat it. And by the way, they programmed the black boxes overnight yeah. for those movements. So everybody thinking I can game this and game that. Come on, you know. Yeah, it's like you, I bought a house and I did okay, so I'll become a property developer. If you do, that's fine. If you if you make that your job, that's fine. If you spend all day investing, you will get better at it, or you'll die doing it. You know. But if you survive, you'll be a better investor. There's nothing wrong with that at all, because you're doing rather than just thinking. You're doing rather than talking. The thing about it is, is how do, where do you go? How, how can you win in a world on your own versus the, I, I hate the term experts because I don't think that, an expert's only for me, somebody who actually does something and makes money out of it themselves, personally, for themselves and for other people. An expert's not these people who come on and tell you what to do. So there's a lot of expertise in the media, a lot of expertise in so-called academia, or all these so-called experts. If people just sit on the side in the desks and tell you what you should be thinking, what you should be doing, what you should be saying, how you, how you talk about gender, 
how you talk about race, how you talk about that. And if you don't go along with them, you, you are a populist. Yeah. So you just agree with the majority. Oh, that's populism, agreeing with the majority. No, it's not. <laughs> you are the silly minority and we're the silly majority who are forced to listen to you because somehow you've got a grip of media right now you know, I saw it in the historical press yesterday, you know, trying to safeguard the press, you know, and then they cite things like Syria or Turkey or something like that. Well, we're not Syria, we're not Turkey. This is, that's the reason so many people want to come and live here is because we do stand for freedom more than probably any other, more than any country in the world, any big country in the world. But the press need to be very careful because if they are showing extreme minority views as if you should be doing it, otherwise you're wrong. You should, you should really think, is that the right thing to do? You know, is that the right thing to do? Or are you just jumping on a bandwagon, you know, stirred up by some people who may not be as nice as you think? I am a free thinker and I believe in free trade wherever possible. And I think that that solves the problems. I think business, you know, um, will solve social injustice. I don't think politicians, when it comes to investment, you've got exactly the same crowd. So never listen to an advisor, including our advisors. You know, never listen to them. Don't take advice from somebody until you find out what they're doing. Where is their money? So that solves all this independent financial advisor stuff and things like this. You can find out how good that IFA actually is by saying, can you produce to me your portfolio, please. Tell me what your risk is. What's your risk level? Can you show me your portfolio? Why not? What's the secret about your portfolio? Show it to the client. If you tried to sell them a house, you'd be showing them a house, wouldn't you? If you, if you wanted them to buy this fantastic Ford car, you wouldn't be showing them a Jaguar, would you? I mean, I would just say, well, why, why are you driving around in a Jaguar? If that Ford is good, it's great, it's the best car you've ever seen. Well, why don't you buy one? Are you just trying to sell me something? And this is where skin in the game gets really down. Skin in the game is the thing. It's, it's much maligned, but it's about, it tries to get around the problem of agent principle. The agent principle stroke agent problem, where somebody takes your money and invested in something they're not invested in. And unfortunately, the, the bureaucrat sees that the wrong way around. They say, if I'm invested, which I am invested in Mark and mine, my portfolios, right? Because I believe in them, but I put my money in them. A lot of my money is in there. And probably the, the biggest client you've got, you've got some big clients. My money's there, right? Because I understand it and it's my money. In there. So I've got the right to tell people that I think this is a good thing because my money's there. I have no right to tell something else, somebody that that's great over there if, if I'm not invested in it. The problem is if I'm invested too much in it, somebody says, oh, you've got a conflict of interest. You're telling people it's great so that you'll, you'll gain from it. And that's where the conflict's the wrong way around. If you re you have some conflict. There's not even a conflict if you have interest in something. They're the people you should be listening to. I'm it's quite happy to tell interest. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I'm quite happy to tell people where I'm invested or where, where I put my money or whatever. 
you know, quite happy to do that. Um, if they want to follow me, that's that's up to them. What you shouldn't follow is somebody who has not got the courage of their own conviction. Mm-hmm. So somebody says to me, he says, I'm going to do this. I mean, we've seen fund managers, Steve, it's done that. We saw a particular fund manager. And for years, Mark's people saying, oh, you should be with, I'm not going to mention his name because he shouldn't get any more publicity. So he's great. Look at this. He's 20% this, this, that, and the other, blah, 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 blah. Right? All based on a personality in somebody's ego. Next thing you know, boo-hoo. You know, it's all gone bad. And people like us have to pick up, you know. It's, I, it's, it's, like, it's like anything else. Steve used to be a footballer. I used to be a footballer. Right? I, I didn't learn how to play football by reading a book or by watching somebody else play football. You can only do it by getting the ball and kicking it. You can, you know, but if in doubt, you know, um, just say to somebody, have you ever kicked a football? And let them kick a ball, you know, rather than saying, I know all about football. It, otherwise, you listen to like a fan like Mark Henderson on the, on the sidelines telling you about why people have done this and doing that and this and that. And you go, well, that's not the reason that person's running that direction, by the way. But you and all the other screaming idiots going, yeah, like that, you know, and then, <laughs> it, it, that's not I'm not saying Mark didn't used to play football I'm just saying as a typical Newcastle United fan you know he's watching bad football bad football for years so he should know that's not football that's just clowns on the pitch taking your money and the Saudis nearly came and helped you out but the good old regulators stopped them that's a shame mm-hmm. isn't it yeah, you've got to find out who's who the regulators are and then you've got to find out have they got a vested interest, you know, in certain clubs and things? Yeah. Some clubs have spent a lot of money, by the way, Mark, trying to build huge stadiums, you know. They don't well, they don't want other teams coming in and taking that away from them. That wouldn't be protectionism or a cartel at all, would it, David? Top, Absolutely top, not. Topic for another day, that one, I think. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Steve, the, the last point um, about kind of successful investors, um, and it was linked a bit with David when when David was saying, "Well, my, my you know my pension is not as big as what it could be." What one of the last tips or one of the tenants we always have is with goal setting and goal setting and, and then planning for the appropriate amount of time. Um, could you could you just say a bit more about why why we think that way and and, and how that helps an investor? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, I agree with everything about having skin in the game. And um, if you look at the sophistication of investment now, it's like everything else. It has become far more sophisticated. When I started out in 1983, um, I worked for a company, and it's a well-known name now. But we had a few equity funds and one fixed income fund which was bizarre. So you got this, you just got a mix of the two asset classes. Now there's a myriad of different asset classes being used and, and moving forward. And you you can't be an expert. So I outsource all my investments to true potential investments and to, to other people. I don't do any self-investing because why would I gamble, as you've all said, with my, with my retirement or whatever. So that hints at what my goal is. My goal now with my saving is to get enough in the bank, sorry, in the bank of my savings, not in the the actual bank so that I can fund a retirement Um, and I'm not going to take you know I'm going to manage what my risks are set my goals and run to it and I think we have to do that and we have to encourage people to do it and it harps back to what we were saying earlier don't let a temporary shock in the market or what the press are telling you about the economy 
derail you from your goal and your objectives that you've set out, you've thought about, you've used all the research available to set this goal and what your asset allocation could be. You may have your fund managers, they will tinker with the tactics along the way, they will move your asset allocation slightly, but generally you form your goal based on what you want to achieve and then you've got to stick to it. It's all about keeping a nerve. Um, and it's so easy, as we've sort of hinted earlier on, when, when the stress is on, to, to, to run to what you think is a safe haven. And David talks about property. And you look at some of the property funds in the market that were traditional safe havens, some of the with profit funds and smoothing funds that were traditional safe havens. They're not. Property has not been a safe haven. Property funds, property fund investing has not been a safe haven in the last two years. It's illiquid. You can't get your money out, so you ride it down to the bottom. Um, you know, you're not going to be an expert, everybody. I'm not. I've been in it a long time, but I'm not an expert, and I do not do self-investing. I, I outsource all my investments to people who, as you've all said, sit there day in and day out. If you're buying a single stock and you think, you know, the, the black cab taxi drivers told you that, you know, a particular stock's going to do really well because a guy in his cab last week was the finance director and blah, blah, blah. You're a fool because these stocks are analysed to the nth degree by the fund management community. And as David and you've all said, they'll have, they'll have traded on it long before the news is into the market. They'll be looking at the futures on it. They'll be moving forward. You cannot compete with this. And you're a fool if you try. You're becoming exactly what the guys have said, a gambler. Um, and there's a massive difference between a gambler and an informed investor. So work with your financial advisor to ascertain what your goals are going to be and what level of risk you can actually live with and be comfortable with. But then don't be put off by short term shocks in the market, because as Mark said, if you look at what's happened since March, which we can all remember March, it's not that long ago, um, if you'd have run to the hills and put it into the so-called safe haven of cash when the market was was dropping in March, you'd be significantly out of profit, out of pocket. And your goals for retirement in five, 10 years would be would be unachievable now. So you'd have to start cutting your cloth accordingly. And, you know, I might have to sell my house and take the risk of walking down the street, which is which is high risk around here. But yeah, it don't be put off by shocks. Try and keep your nerve. Uh, but I'm not an advocate of self-investing. Don't do it. Yeah, no, I think it, it, it's about patience and having that discipline as well. So the discipline yeah. to set the goal in the first place and then the patience to just live with it, track it, um, use technology, which allows you to see that, see how your goal's getting on against actual performance as well. And if you, if you track it back, you know, the, the, you know, the, the last few years as well, what you what most investors will find is, even with this kind of turbulence which we've had over the last five months, you'll be up. You'll probably be ahead of where you need to be with your goal, if your goal is being calibrated correctly in the first place. But importantly as well, having that goal there, having the ability to track it, say, on your on your, your phone, um, like like True Potential does, you know, plug plug for True Potential there, but it is our podcast, so we're allowed to plug our own kit, allows our investors to track every single day are they ahead or behind with their goal and i think one of the last parts about being patient about being disciplined as well is the ability to save often as well you 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 use kit like our impulse save uh within there which which allows you every single day if you wanted to i wouldn't necessarily advise investing in every day um but it allows you to impulse save and and bridge that gap or close that gap what that means for any investor out there is you don't get a shock. You don't get the yearly statement from 
from an advisor which says, you know, dear Mr. Mr. Harrison, you're, you're up 5% or you're behind 5%. You know, once a year is not good enough in, in, in this type of environment. Uh, having a goal which you can track often means that you're in control of your goal as well, which I think is probably another sign of being a, a successful investor, which is what I was talking about before, about outsourcing some of the specialism, you know, to, to a discretionary manager who, who are specialists in investing. Uh, doesn't mean you're seeding control. Seeding, you know, mm-hmm. you've still got the control with the technology. You've still got the control by being able to watch what's happening every single day. Mm-hmm. Steve, no, you had a in your, your visitor just behind you. <laughs> it looked like a it young like boy. A... Oh, I <laughs> two cups of tea. Is it Christmas? Did he? I think, I, I think it was a, a hunting junior, Steve. <laughs> it looked like a young um, boy coming into your bedroom. <laughs> what could possibly be go, go wrong with that? Eh? Um, I don't know. Well, uh, <laughs> that, 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 that probably that probably segues into a nice way to wrap up, gentlemen. I think. Yeah. <laughs> Before we go down the rabbit hole, any um, any final thoughts, uh, gentlemen, in terms of uh, summarising today? Uh, David, maybe we will kick off with you, please. Yes, I just wrote down before. I mean, don't do what people say. Do what they do. Don't only don't pay attention to what people say. Pay attention to what they're doing. That's the thing. Um, That's a that's a little phrase. You can write it down, Mark. (laughs) You you can you you should write it down. Sell inspirational posters saying that, David. Well, uh, no, I need to put in three words. Should I put in three words for for Boris? Yeah. Be alert. Don't pay attention to what people say, only what they do. So this is for you, Boris. Don't pay attention. I think you're pretty good at that. (laughs) Those three words will do. I actually like him. I think he's trying his best. And uh, so, but don't pay attention to what people say, only what they do. I think that would be the inspirational quote. Thanks, Dave. uh, Steve, my my point would revert back to what where we started. It's don't let what you're hearing and seeing in the news make you make rash decisions, rash decisions on your investments because you'll make the wrong one. You know, and panic is an active investment decision, so don't do it. Outsource. Let other people manage your investments in line with the goals you're setting. Steve and Mark. I think it comes on from what Steve was saying there about goal setting, Dan. You know, the, it's you set your own personal goals, how much money you want to have and buy when, and that was the principle that we set up the platform and the goal setting on there. Very simplistic, but it's personal to each individual investor. Set your goal, how much you want to have, buy when, and if you are behind your goal, add more money in if you've got it, and that's that's been... It's worked well for people over over the last few months because they've been buying into the dips when they've had, had a little bit of money. Remember, Dan, when we first set up the platform, there was one of the members of staff putting in something like £4.81 a day onto, onto his account and yeah. it's because he stopped smoking and he was putting his tobacco money onto the platform into his ISA. And, uh, you know, people's bills or travel expenses are much less now. Put your petrol money in, just save it, put it to one side, put it out of harm's way and help you achieve those personal goals. 
Thanks, Mark. Um, <clears throat> so, uh, gentlemen, thank you very much for today. Uh, I think we, we'll wrap it up um, now. Um, hopefully no one's been planning to go to France this weekend. Steve, I know you were in France a couple of weeks ago, so you've, you've survived. Um, the more eagle-eyed you, eagle you may notice, I'm, I'm back in England uh, from, from Spain. Uh, I'm in quarantine at the moment, so 14, <laughs> 14 days for me. Are you chained to that radiator? You've got to be, is that what they're doing? They're chained nope. to the radiator. Is it true the Home Office are trying to track you down, Dan? The Home Office tracked me down yesterday, Mark. Yeah, they rang, rang me up and asked. He was pretending to be nice. He was like saying, so if, you know, if, you, if you've got COVID symptoms, ensure you don't go to the hospital or the doctors. You know, you ensure that you just ring the helpline. You think, saying, well, I haven't lived under a rock for the last five months. I, mean, I am aware of what they do. But he was also asking some questions like, can you just confirm your date of birth? Uh, can you just confirm the time you arrived off your flight and things like that? So I think he was checking that I didn't have a, an actor in the house pretending to be me. Um, so, yeah. Um, Probably checking your mobile phone signal as well, Dan, to make sure that you, were, <laughs> you weren't in a pub somewhere. Well, that's it. Well, that's the thing, you know. While that's going on, like people are hugging and kissing each other in pubs around the corner, just actually just round the corner. You know, yeah. that's that's the thing. That's why it's lingering on that we. It's uh, anyway. That's a topic for another for another day to to go yeah. with. It, it's uh, I actually would chain him to the radiator because he shouldn't have gone abroad. I think that's the thing. Thanks, David. Thanks, Steve. Uh, thanks, Thank Mark. Thank you, everybody, for, for listening today. I hope you enjoyed it. Cheers, everyone. See you later. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.